From Greenville, South Carolina, we present... Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, preaching Christ in all His fullness. that you've joined us for another broadcast of Let the Bible Speak, featuring messages preached by Dr. Alan Cairns, founder of Let the Bible Speak Radio Ministries. Currently, Dr. Cairns is bringing a series of studies in the earthly life of the Lord Jesus Christ, messages that will give insights into the various aspects of our Lord's temporal ministry, from His teaching and miracles to His atoning death on the cross and His glorious resurrection. We'll hear from Dr. Cairns in just a few minutes. First of all, we invite you to enjoy this devotional thought from the pen of C.H. Spurgeon, found in his collection called Faith's Checkbook. Today's devotional is entitled, God First, Then Extras. The text is Matthew 6 and verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. See how the Bible opens. In the beginning, God. Let your life open in the same way. Seek with your whole soul, first and foremost, the kingdom of God as the place of your citizenship, and His righteousness as the character of your life. As for the rest, it will come from the Lord Himself without your being anxious concerning it. All that is needful for this life and godliness shall be added unto you. What a promise this is! Food, raiment, home, and so forth, God undertakes to add to you while you seek Him. You mind His business, and He will mind yours. If you want paper and string, you get them given in when you buy more important goods. And just so, all that we need of earthly things, we shall have thrown in with the kingdom. He who is an heir of salvation shall not die of starvation." And he who clothes his soul with the righteousness of God cannot be left of the Lord with a naked body. Away with carking care. Set all your mind upon seeking the Lord. Covetousness is poverty, and anxiety is misery. Trust in God is an estate, and likeness to God is a heavenly inheritance. Lord, I seek thee. Be found of me.
The month of October is observed traditionally in Protestant churches as Reformation Month. Western civilization owes much to that mighty move of God in the 16th century when the truth of justification by faith scattered the darkness of salvation by works and brought the light of the gospel to souls across medieval Europe. The Reformers' motto was, The Bible alone, the religion of the Protestants. Men such as Martin Luther and John Knox insisted that the Holy Scriptures contain everything necessary for Christian faith and practice. It is important for believers in the 21st century to understand the central significance of the Bible in daily living and in the battle for spiritual truth. Let the Bible Speak is making available free of charge a booklet called The Bible and the Protestant Reformation, published by the Trinitarian Bible Society. To obtain your copy, simply email info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you wish, you may call us at 864-244-2408. That's 864-244-2408. If you prefer regular mail, simply write, Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Just ask for your copy of The Bible and the Protestant Reformation. On this edition of Let the Bible Speak, Dr. Cairns brings the next portion of a message called The Compassion of Christ. The events recorded in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, illustrate the Lord's heart of love for those in need. Among the lessons in this account, we see the Savior's ability to cheer the sorrowing as He raised the nobleman's daughter from the dead. This speaks of His power to raise dead sinners to life through the Gospel— The demons that afflicted the man with the dumb spirit could not stand before the incarnate Son of God. There is no need of the human heart that the Lord Jesus cannot meet. Now Dr. Cairns brings the next portion of this message, The Compassion of Christ. Every kind of person, whether it was a ruler, 
or an anonymous woman or two blind men or a demon-possessed deaf mute. Didn't matter what their status in life was. Didn't matter what the state of their IQ was. It didn't matter what their religious experience was. When they came to Jesus Christ and they approached him, he was approachable. You think of what the psalmist said in Psalm 138, verse 6, Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect or regard unto the lowly. The Lord has time to turn his eyes upon the lowliest and the neediest, the most impoverished, the meanest of his creatures. He is always approachable. Again, this is a lie that the devil injects into our thinking. We come to pray, and he says, The Lord may hear a preacher. The Lord may hear an evangelist. The Lord may hear some great person. But the Lord is not going to hear you. Who are you to come before the Lord? What right do you have that would make you think that God Almighty is going to listen to a a pygmy, a non-entity such as you? The psalmist answered that very effectively in Psalm 40, in verse 17. I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh on me. That's an amazing text of Scripture. It's one of the most beautiful statements in the Bible. The Lord thinketh on me. Now, I want you to understand something. I can't presume to explain this, but I want you to understand at least the statement I'm making. This mighty universe of ours is not the universe of the deists that was like a clock that was wound up by the eternal clockmaker and that's just going on working out uh, the uh, fatalistic plan. That's not how the universe works. Colossians 1 tells me it hangs together in the Lord Jesus Christ, every part working according to the eternal power and wisdom of God and especially of the Word, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. But yet, God doesn't have to sit down every day puzzling. What am I going to do? How am I going to get this to work? There is a new theory doing the rounds in evangelicalism. It is a cursed apostasy. It is called the open view of God. It is a God who doesn't really know what he's where he's going, what he's going to do, how he's going to do it. It is a God who is in a state of flux, a God who is in a state of becoming, a God who is learning from his past efforts, a God who is still uh, adjusting everything to try and get it to come out right. That is not what the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is doing. In his omniscience, and in his omnipotence. Those are words that I can use, and I have no idea in the world what they mean. Nor does any other man who has ever lived other than the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. But in his omniscience and his omnipotence, God is working all things after the good pleasure of his own purpose and the counsel of his own will. The point I'm making is he's not thinking, how am I going to get the sun to rise? 
How am I going to keep the axis of the earth exactly right? How am I going to keep all the moving parts of the universe in their proper relation? He's not having to spend time worrying about that. But he is thinking on me. That's what the psalmist says. I'm poor. I'm needy. I'm the least of all. I'm a non-entity. In the great scheme of things, you would say I'm less than a grain of sand in relation to all the seashores and the ocean beds of the world. I'm less than that in the great scheme of things. And yet the Lord thinketh on me. He's approachable. And that means he encourages us to call upon him, for he is led to answer every cry of the needy. He didn't turn away one seeking soul. He is still the great answerer of prayer. He still makes our case his own case. His compassion led him to answer their cry, and it still does. His compassion led him to act to relieve the needy. His actions here are actions of more than historical interest. They're full of spiritual truth. Let me very quickly run through the actions of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope that even the recital of these things will be an encouragement, an instruction, and a blessing. First, in his compassion, he cheered the sorrowing. Here came a father whose 12-year-old had just died. Now, there are many fathers and many mothers here this morning. You don't need any imagination whatsoever to know the grief that filled that father's heart. He had left behind him a home in turmoil, weeping and wailing and sorrow and anguish. I don't suppose as a parent here, even those whose children are still healthy and alive, I don't suppose as a parent here, but has wept hot, bitter tears over your offspring. Here was a father with a broken heart. And he came to the Lord Jesus. And he gave him cause to rejoice. He cheers the sorrowing. We are few in number. But even in a little congregation like this this morning, I guarantee there are breaking hearts. I guarantee there are hearts that are living in the shadow of great sorrow. Some of you are sorrowing over your children. Some of you are sorrowing for many other reasons. Some of you are sorrowing for causes that none of us know anything whatsoever about. But I want to tell you, you come with your sorrow to Christ. Remember what I said, he's available. He's approachable. He answers. 
and he acts. He'll give you cause to rejoice. There's an old saying that when you bring a burden to the Lord, he either removes the burden or strengthens your shoulders to bear it. That's certainly true, but one way or another, he will give you cause to rejoice. Can I go to the fundamental causes to rejoice? Uh, One of my favorite texts in the Bible is found at the beginning of Isaiah chapter 12. Now, I am very well aware that this is what is called an eschatological passage. It's a passage of prophecy that awaits its fulfillment literally in a coming day. But I am also aware that God intended the prophecies to have their constant spiritual application. And in Isaiah chapter 12, we have the testimony of how people come to have their sorrows removed. In that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away. Thou comfortest me. Let us stop there for a minute. What is the first thing that cheers the heart? Whatever your earthly suffering, whatever your earthly concerns or worries, when the Holy Spirit can take this Scripture and apply it to your heart, there was a time when God was angry. There was a time when the wrath of God was suspended like the sword of Damocles above your soul. But now his anger is turned away. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. The anger of God is gone, and he comforts my soul with the truth of the gospel and of acceptance in Christ. Verse 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Now, my favorite text in the passage, Therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. Where do Christians get their joy? Where do they get cheering up in the days of darkness? By going back and dipping in the wells of salvation. Go to the wells of saving truth and drink deeply of what is in Jesus Christ. And you'll find that there is great joy in gospel truth. There is great happiness in assimilating the gospel truth to yourself, appropriating it. Tell you, my friend, he still cheers the sorrowing. There's nothing cheers the heart like the reviving presence of the Lord. You think of the 85th Psalm, verse 6, if my memory's accurate. Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Just let us know a little reviving. Let us get a fresh sight of Christ. Let us get a fresh understanding of the gospel. Let us see again our position in Christ. Let us know the movings of the Holy Spirit within our hearts. And the world may be crashing around about us, but we will have the joy of the Lord. In his compassion, he cheered the sorrowing. In his compassion, he raised the dead. He raised the dead. This little girl, 
they laughed Christ to scorn when he said, He sleepeth. Of course, he was using the word as he used it in John 11 when he described Lazarus, our friend, Lazarus is sleeping. He's using a euphemism. He was sleeping the sleep of death. For he later said, bluntly, he's dead. This little girl was dead. The Lord Jesus came and he reached forth his hand to the dead and he raised her from the dead. Now, what a picture that is. That's something that always fascinates me. Christ's dealings with the dead. In some cases, he simply spoke. As in John 11, Lazarus, come forth. It's the power of his word. In the case of Jairus' daughter, and I take this case probably not to be Jairus' daughter, the one we're reading of, for reasons that we may deal with later. A very similar case. But in that case, he said, Talitha kumi, I say unto you, arise. In this case, he just went in and he touched her. In the case of the son of the widow of Nain, he touched the coffin. Just the dealings of Christ with the dead. And in every case, the result was the same. The dead came to life. I want you to see this. This is his compassion. The greatest evidence of the love of Christ is how he deals with dead sinners. What does Paul say in Ephesians chapter 2? You hath he quickened or made alive, who were dead in trespasses and in sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others." You have he quickened. Every Christian here can look back to a time when he was dead and the Savior came and touched him. Some of us were in a place so corrupt and vile that nobody in his right senses would want to touch us except the Savior. He touched us. And he raised us with mighty power and he gave us life. That's the compassion of Christ. And I want to tell you, he's still in the soul-saving business. Oh, let us never lose sight of that. Never let us in the church of Christ simply settle down into some little club for Christians. Some little comfortable assembly where we can do each other good. Oh, that's important. But never let us lose sight of the fact that we're here to see people saved. Jesus Christ raises the dead. The Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America. 
Founded by Dr. Alan Cairns, Let the Bible Speak is also heard in many parts of the world through the international radio outreach of Let the Bible Speak, produced in Northern Ireland. The Free Presbyterian Church stands without apology for the absolute inerrancy of the Bible, emphasizing preaching that centers on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ and is militant in its stand against the ecumenical apostasy and the efforts of the world to infiltrate the Church. For further information about the Free Presbyterian Church, you may email info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. You may call us at 864-244-2408. Or you may write, Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Again, that's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Also, we encourage you to visit the website of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America at www.fpcna.org. That's www.fpcna.org. This is Charles Kelsch saying thank you for listening and inviting you to join us again as we Let the Bible Speak. (music) 